Welcome to Talking Confidence with me, Holly Kaplan. Having confidence in the workplace is essential for progress, fulfillment, and yes, survival. The issue is that confidence doesn't always come easy and is impacted and influenced along the way. Well, as a confidence coach, I know the key to finding and keeping your confidence is to recognize how professional situations have affected how you think of yourself. In this podcast together, we will examine exactly what impacts women's confidence in the workplace. We're going to get raw in these episodes. We are going to peel back the layers of social interactions, company culture, gender discrimination, ageism, and more. My guests will include entrepreneurs, corporate executives, and business owners. We are going to get down to what these women are really feeling. Expect vulnerability, openness, and relatability. But most importantly, expect to find your confidence. I have faced gender discrimination in the workplace. My experience occurred 10 years ago in a series of small events. They were microaggressions that added up to me feeling minimized, undervalued, and silenced. And honestly, I had a tough time verbalizing and processing what was happening in the moment. All I knew was that I felt frustrated, but I didn't know how to fix it or get help to understand it. And plus, at the time, I was the only woman on the management team. I didn't have a support system or someone to talk to to say, hey, what do you think of this? Or does this sound normal to you? I had no sounding board. Here is an example. I was having problems with one of my salespeople on my team. His performance was low and he seemed checked out. So I told my boss what was going on with this person. And after my discussion with him, I believed we had a plan in place and a solution moving forward. Yet, a day later, Unbeknownst to me, my boss called the salesperson and had a conversation with them. He, my boss, later confessed to me, saying he felt he needed to reach out to him and have a real man-to-man talk, insinuating my management and coaching as a woman wasn't good enough. I know from experience that I am not alone in what I'm speaking of. I have several friends, clients, and colleagues who have experienced the same which is why we are here having this conversation today. So many individuals have experienced discrimination and harassment in the workplace, yet they don't know what to do or what steps to take to get help. This is why today in this episode, I'm going to be speaking with my friend and trusted advisor, employment attorney, Karen Fitzgerald. Karen is going to share with us her insight and tips for those who are experiencing discrimination and harassment in the workplace. Consider today a roadmap for you if you need help and guidance. Karen Fitzgerald has been practicing law since 1989. She attended the University of Texas School of Law and is board certified in labor and employment by the Texas Board of Legal Specialization. She knows that employment problems are people problems too, and solving them means understanding the needs and motivations of everyone involved. Her approach is holistic and focused on finding solutions for her clients. Karen has been named a super lawyer by Thomson Reuters from 2005 to 2022. She also serves as a neutral arbitrator on the American Arbitration Association's Employment Law Panel. Karen resides here in Dallas, Texas with her amazing husband, Sean. You can learn more about Karen and her services at Fitzgerald.law. Be sure to listen through to the end of this episode so you can hear my parting tips on how to handle discrimination and harassment in your workplace. Karen, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so glad you're here. This is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. 
Well, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Well, I know you're going to provide us with a tremendous amount of much needed information, but before we get into that today, would you tell us a little bit about you? Sure. My name is Karen Fitzgerald, and I'm the owner of Fitzgerald Law, and I'm an employment law attorney, and I specialize in representing individuals. So people who are having problems at work, that's what I do. I'm board certified in labor and employment law, and I just absolutely love what I get to do every day. I know. I can tell you're very passionate about what you're doing with your career, and I love it because, girl, we need you. (laughs) We need you. So thank you. And just so our listeners know, Karen is from Baton Rouge, just like I am. And I always got to give props to other Louisiana, you know, people, because we both appreciate the same things. And we're both here in Dallas now. So, um, okay, Karen, let's, let's get started because I know we have a lot to cover today. So I'm just going to start with this very simple first question. When your potential clients contact you, for help with handling discrimination in the workplace, do you find that they have any idea what to expect from a legal perspective and process? Do they know? No. The short short answer is no. Most people have a little bit of understanding about employment laws, kind of what they've heard, little snippets they've read on the internet. Um, But what they don't understand is the employment laws give us actually far less protection in the workplace than they think. And so they really don't know anything about that. And then they also don't understand what we call the administrative process, the process where we have to file a charge of discrimination with the EEOC or Texas Workforce Commission and things you have to do before you can even file a lawsuit alleging employment discrimination. So most people just have no idea how that process works. I agree with you. And I've kind of find in my experience that a lot of people just quit before they get started. They They give up. They give up because it seems like it's too hard to do. Well, it's overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And if you get on the Internet and you start researching, you get lost quickly because you find lots of contradictory information. And so it can be completely overwhelming. And often it's just easier to say, you know what? I'll just move on and put this behind me. I think that happens all the time. I think that feels like it's the simplest choice at the the moment. So I appreciate you telling us the best way to handle this today because it's going to give people a lot of clarity. Okay. I love this question because a lot of women and men face gender discrimination in the workplace. How do they know when it's time to call you? You know, Holly, that is such a great question. And I really was thinking about it because it's hard to know. But, you know, one of the times, obviously for people who've been fired, that's an easy time to think, hey, maybe I need to talk to a lawyer and find out if something's wrong here. But for people who are still working at a company and they feel like there's discrimination or retaliation happening, they don't know and they don't know where to turn. And so kind of the easy answer is when they feel like they have no place else to turn. Um, Or honestly, if people find themselves turning to medication to get through the day, um, you know, if you are having to go on anxiety medicines or antidepressants just to continue to work in your job, that may be a sign that maybe you need to talk to a lawyer about what's going on in the workplace. 
Um, you know, the thing that I always tell people is reach out sooner rather than later, because what most people don't know is you have a really short period of time to protect your rights. You know, to protect your rights under state law, you're going to need to file a charge of discrimination within 180 days of whatever bad act we think happened to you. For federal law, you've got 300 days, and that's not that much time. It's so if people people sit and wait, you know, they can lose their rights. It's really not, and I'm glad that you said that, because things happen over time. You know, there's usually an accumulation of events, social interactions, what have you. So let's just reiterate, it's 180 days from the event, and then you said federally it's 300. Right, so so, and that differs from state to state, so I'm talking about Texas, but... You know, what if you think if something bad has happened, you got fired, you didn't get a raise, something bad has happened and you think, hey, that may be discriminatory. If you want to sue possibly under state law, you need to have filed a federal charge within 180 days. If you want to sue under federal law, you've got to get that charge on file within 300 days. Or, for example, like you don't get a raise and you think you're discriminated against on pay. You know, you've got to got to know you need to take action soon. And most people just don't know that. No, they don't. They sit and they wait Mm -hmm. and they Mm -hmm. kind of blame themselves and then they hope things get better and they go to the office one day and things are okay. And then they go the next day and they're still jacked up. Right. Absolutely. Uh, And the situation never completely dissolves. And then they just, they're, they're kind of stuck with it and they're like, well, what now? Right. And then when they come to me and I have to say, gee, I'm so sorry, if only you'd come to me three months ago, I might have been able to help you. But right now that I'm out of options. I appreciate you sharing that with us because you have to have a sense of urgency in this situation. Um, And I also appreciate what you said about meds. (laughs) So true. I cannot tell you how many women I know that are on anti-anxiety meds because of their workplace environment. Right. It's very, it's very common. So instead of addressing issues, we'd rather medicate and go, oh, I'm not going to let this bother me. I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to let that bother me either. I'm going to take drugs and keep going. Probably not the healthiest way. No. And life is way too short to be unhappy in your job. And if you are so unhappy in your job that that's what you're having to do to make it work, you know, you do need to take a hard look at what's going on there that causes that. I agree with you. And so many of us do it. So that's a, that's a big health check, Miss Karen, right there. So, <laughs> um, this is what I want to get into next, because this is what the takeaway is really going to be about today for our listeners. When they know it's time to call you, let's talk about the top tips for those in this situation. What do we do and what do we need to know? Right. Okay, so my first kind of thing is just know that you're not imagining things. Listen to your instincts and trust your instincts. And if your instincts are telling you something is off and it doesn't feel right, that's because it probably is true. And so don't be afraid to check it out. I always use the analogy of, you know, if you see a growth on your skin, you may go to the dermatologist and he may say that's a freckle or he may say, nope, that's skin cancer but you need to go check it out to make sure. So trust your instincts and know that you generally are not imagining things. And so my my second tip kind of is be big and be loud. Um, People need to complain. And I always say complain early and complain often. 
And the paradox here, Holly, is I know that everybody is afraid of being retaliated against, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. People are deadly afraid to go to HR or to complain to their managers because they know bad things are going to happen. They're going to be retaliated against. But here's the irony and here's the paradox. You actually get more protection when you complain because you, you're either going to get fired right away or you're going to get protection because the same statutes that protect you from discrimination and retaliation, uh, also, well, they protect you from discrimination, they also protect you from retaliation. So it is in making that complaint, you're telling the company, I'm shining a spotlight on this. And now if you do something bad to me, I might have another claim against you. So that's one of those paradoxes. Um, and, you know, and I'm sure, Holly, in what you do, you see it all the time. People are so afraid of retaliation. Mm-hmm. They are. They don't want to lose their jobs. They're like, but if I speak up or say something, it's going to be disruptive and I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. I don't want to get in trouble. I like my job. So they put up with this shit, basically. Right, right. Um, but if something is happening that is not right and is not legal, you know, you need to notify your company and you need to give them the chance to fix it. Again, all of these companies out there promise protection from retaliation. We, Again, we know the world is not perfect. Retaliation happens every day. Mm-hmm. But if you have complained, and, and if you use, and we'll talk about another, another one of my tips is like the magic words. Um, you know, if you have complained and you've used the right words to make it clear to your employer that you're engaging in what the law calls protected activity, then you actually can get some protection from retaliation. But man, getting over that fear, the hurdle and the fear, I it's very, very hard for people to do. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Especially with women who typically don't like to speak up about it. We're, right. We're getting better. We're helping support each other through it. But I think, uh, I think you're right. Right. About that. Right. Yeah. So, so my third tip is kind of when you complain, you've got to figure out who do you need to complain to and how you go about it. And so you want to be organized. I always tell people when you complain, you complain big. Because what needs to happen is not just HR, but the manager who's the problem needs to know that you're complaining about them. And again, I know that is super scary. And people are probably listening out there going, are you crazy? Are you crazy? And I understand it, but again, that's where that paradox is because what t- what what often happens is you think something bad is happening, you go file a complaint with HR. Six months later, there's a rework at the company, and guess what? You're let go in the rework, and then you sue for retaliation, and they say, "Oh, but this person over here didn't know that you complained. Um, they made the decision to lay you off, and they had no idea you went to HR and engaged in protected conduct." And so you need to make sure that anybody in the chain of command knows about it. And again, I know that's a scary thing to do. Um, The other thing, and and I think you and I talked about, Holly, the importance of organization and getting your evidence. Mm -hmm. Um, Get your evidence. And, you know, one thing that people do and I caution them against is they will forward emails to their personal email address And you need to be careful about that because you might be violating a company policy in doing that. Um, But print out emails. If you can print them out and take them home, um, you know, just know that your company can track your digital activity. Um, Screenshots. 
If there's questionable emails or questionable things, you can take screenshots. Um, you just have to be prepared for the worst and know that, oh, if I get terminated, I'm going to lose access to my system and I'm not going to be able to get copies of these documents. So like, say, if you do send in a complaint, print out a hard copy, take it home, keep it. Um, you know, gathering the documentation that can help support your complaints is so very important because um, companies will ignore you and what you say, mm -hmm. but the documents don't lie. You know, if they see these things in an email or a report or something, they're going to take that more seriously than you. Yes, yes. They will, because that way it's 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 black and white, and it shows that you've been methodical and careful, right? And how you're bringing this to them, right, right. But I love and that. Print the emails. Go old school, y'all. Print the emails. Don't send right. them to yourselves, because I've seen people's careers ruined over that. Actually, well, absolutely. And the thing that you know, people have to remember, they usually have signed some type of confidentiality agreement with their company or there's something in the employee handbook where they promise to protect confidential information. And so if you're forwarding a bunch of emails to your personal Gmail account or personal email account, and it has confidential company information in it, that's a real problem. So you've got to, you know, be aware of what you're doing as you gather your evidence for whatever it's worth. Um, and then the other thing I tell people, you know, when people come to me, and I think you and I have talked about this too, Holly, when people come to me, there are two things that I need to help me figure out what's going on. The first is a timeline. And the second is what I call the cast of characters. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. That's great. I love that description. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So, so, the, so the cast of characters is I need a list of the key players. I need their first name. I need their last name, I need their job title, and I need some understanding of where they fit in the picture. Because what you got to remember is if you hire a lawyer and you go to the lawyer, you've been living this for months, if not years. You know who the key players are. You know how your company's organized. But it's going to take your lawyer a little bit of time to figure out who's who, what's what, where's the, where does this piece of the puzzle fit into the grand picture. So cast of characters is key. And then a timeline in chronological order is also key. And I emphasize chronological order because this is not Outlander and we're not doing time travel. Um, and, and I see a shocking number of timelines that go back and forth in time. Um, and so you've got to really sit down and think through what's happening to you and get organized and put it in chronological order so that your lawyer or whoever you're talking to can see, hey, here's what, ha here's what happened and here's how it started. Because like you said, Holly, this starts and it grows over time. Mm -hmm. It's rarely just one event. It's usually a continuum of things, and it may be small things that gradually build, 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 and then become a much larger pro problem. Um, the other thing that is so important, and this is so hard to do, particularly when you're in the middle of living this problem, is to put things together in a very factual, non-emotional way. Um, 
because if you're going to send a complaint to HR or to your company, if it reads like a novella, the company's not going to take it very seriously. But if it's very factual and very organized and the facts can't be rebutted, then they have to take it a lot more seriously. I mean, have you seen instances where you think a company's not taking someone seriously because of the emotion? Absolutely. Absolutely. It gets too much into he said, she said, I was upset. I'm like, take that out. Just be factual, mm-hmm. bullet point it, be specific. It doesn't have to be, be emotional. And I think to your point, it's going to be a better process if it's presented that way. Absolutely. And I kind of view it as you want to approach it almost as if you were a journalist, who, what, when, why, where, and sometimes how. Um, you know, the five deputies, who, what, when, why, where, that's what the company needs to see. You know, who's involved, what happened, when did it happen, where did it happen, um, name witnesses. I always tell my clients, be as specific as you can. Say if it's a sexual harassment complaint and something happened on a company trip, well, who are the other employees there who are witnesses? You know, where did it happen? If you can remember the name of the restaurant, that's much more persuasive than just saying, oh, I think it happened, you know, on this trip in this city. You know, if you can be very specific, those details completely, definitely matter. And I also have clients go through several drafts and iterations because what I found, Holly, is as people go through this process, it gets easier and easier to remove the emotion. So the first draft may just be the, what I'm going to call the, the vomit on the page. <laughs> That's true. That's how it starts. Right, right. So you get it all out on the page and then you have to start to distill it and think, okay, what does my company need to know? And the, and the challenge is that most people who feel that they're being discriminated against because they don't know the law, they don't know what the company needs to know. Mm-hmm. And that's where I come in. I do know what the company needs to know and what facts are going to get their attention and what's going to be persuasive. Um, but it's like, get that first draft out. And I love that you said, you know, bullet point it, because if you send in a 20 page, single page complaint with a lot of bolding and a lot of underlying, what do you think happens to that? It gets lost and you can't it gets, it's right. You can't, you yeah. Get the information you need out of that. Right. It's completely overwhelming. And your HR departments and the company legal departments don't take it seriously. They get lost within that and they're like, "Eh, not credible. And they just don't, um, they just don't take it very seriously. So it's so important to make yourself go through that process of, okay, really focusing on what are the facts here? Um, When did this start? What exactly happened? And one thing, Holly, for for people to focus on, there's a huge difference between things that may be unfair Mm -hmm. and things that may be illegal. Hmm. And that is very frustrating for people. But, you know, like I said, the laws that protect us from discrimination and retaliation um, are very narrow in scope. So, for example, the law, you know, protecting you from discrimination based on sex protects you from being fired because you're a woman or not getting hired because you're a woman um, or suffering some other adverse employment action because you're a woman. So you've always got to remember, you've got to tie it back to 
tie whatever bad thing that's happened to you back to that protected category. This is happening because of my gender, because of my race, because of my age, um, or because I complained about discrimination earlier. Um, You've got to kind of filter out what's just unfair and the boss is a jerk who doesn't know what he's doing to the unfair jerk boss is doing this for some illegal reason. Right. Right. And we've all run into those jerk bosses. Just saying. We have, we have. And that's the, that's the hardest thing is trying to figure out, okay, is what what's happening to me just because my boss is a bad manager or is it happening to me for some reason that might actually be protected by law? And the shocking part is a lot of companies will back a bad manager oh, yeah. for an absurdly long time. Oh, yeah. You know, um, they will back the bad manager until it becomes too costly for them not to do it. Right. Yes. And that means they, it's either going to be costly in the form of constant employee turnover or it's going to be costly in the form of multiple claims. Um, but, you know, the, the company default is always to back the manager. And so and it takes a lot to get their attention to be like, hey, something may be going on with that manager. And the challenge I have with my clients is finding what may be happening that might actually be protected by a law. So you need to get that information out of that situation. You have to figure that out. Right, right. And it's and it's, it's hard to do, and it takes some time drilling and really thinking about what's going on. And what I always tell people is um, try to remember we all have a filter, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you have a manager that's particularly unpleasant, you get a filter about that manager and then you start to view everything that manager does through that same filter. Right. Um, and what you have to do is remove your filter and say, okay, is there an alternative way of looking at this? Is there another explanation other than he's just a jerk or he hates me because I'm a woman or he thinks I'm too old to do the job? Um, you've got to think through what other explanation could there be for what he's doing? And if there really isn't another good one, then there may be a claim. Um, and I always remind people, remember, the managers get a filter about you, too. <laughs> good point. Very right? good point. Mm-hmm. It yeah. happens. I know. It happens. Yes. They, they see you in a certain light. So. They do. They, they, they absolutely do. And sometimes it's justified and sometimes it's not justified. And so people need to sit back and think, okay, if my manager is viewing me this way, is there something I've done that causes him or her to have that reaction to me? You know, you have to be um, as brutally analytical as you have to be about your employer. You have to be that way about yourself as well. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree with that because it, it will help you with your next steps, whether, right? you know, you can approach it a different way or make it better somehow, it's only going to give you more clarity, I think. Right. 100%. Um, And so the other, you know, my other kind of tip for people is I always say fortune favors the brave. Um, But remember, you don't have to go this alone. And that's where, again, I know people are reluctant to reach out to a lawyer and hire a lawyer. um, But I liken it to, like I said, going to the doctor. You think something is happening, you're not sure. 
you may go to the doctor and he's like, no, Holly, it's just a virus. Take a Tylenol. You'll be fine. Or he may say, yeah, this is a really bad illness. I'm so glad you came in. Um, it's worth, you owe it to yourself to check out what's happening. And then if you don't have a claim, you can word, move forward in peace and then make the decision, you know, is this a company I still want to work for? Um, the other thing, Holly, and it's so interesting, is rem- I always tell people, remember that you have options. I know that a lot of us can't just quit a job and walk away without having another job lined up, but don't wait until you're so miserable um, to start looking for a job. You can walk away. Um, and a lot of people, I think, get so beaten down and their confidence takes such a beating, they don't even think, have to stay here and put up with this right uh, right you know so the minute you become unhappy in a job start looking at what your other options are i think that is terrific advice don't ever overstay your welcome <laughs> you know so, how you go to a party and you don't overstay you shouldn't overstay right i did in college i don't anymore but yeah that's another yeah. conversation but yeah if you if you wake up and you're miserable and you're like i don't want to do this again today and it's not just one day out of the month, it's every day and you're miserable, give yourself permission to look at other things for yourself, other job opportunities. You don't have to stay with it. Don't have to stay. Absolutely. And what happens a lot of times is people are getting a lot of gentle hints from the company that it's time for them to go, but they're not taking the hint. So I always laugh with my clients. I'm like, well, you ignored their invitations to leave. And so finally they had to get more aggressive and go ahead and terminate you. But they were giving you all the the hints. Hey, this isn't really going to work. And you ignored all of the hints. And so, like you said, don't overstay your welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, it's a harsh way to say it, but it's it's true. You feel like you need to go, then you go. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do it for yourself. Do it for yourself. Right. But the thing, like we said, the thing is don't wait too long. If you do think that something is discriminatory or retaliatory, don't wait too long um, to look into it. And then you can make an educated decision. Do I think I have something here worth pursuing, first of all? And then if you do think you do, second big major question is, do you want to pursue it? Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes the answer will be no. Um, a lot of, I, for a plaintiff's lawyer, I spend a shocking amount of time talking people out of filing a lawsuit. But what I always tell people is you have to do what's best for your life. And if just moving forward is the best decision, great. If filing the lawsuit is the best decision, great. But you have to be intentional and thoughtful about that decision. Well, what I love about what you're doing is you're giving them information. You're diagnosing, if you will. You're like, this is what I see. This is what you can do. This is what you don't have to do. It's up to you. Right. Right. But this is what we know. Right. And it's, you know, it's a tough decision. Um, And... You know, it's a very personal choice. Mm-hmm. What's right for one person is not the right decision for another person. And, you know, I don't ever want to see someone criticized for just leaving and moving on and not pursuing a claim. Because if that's the right decision for that person at that point in their life, then more power to them. Right. Right. If it's easier for them just to walk away and start fresh somewhere else, then so be it. That's fine. Right. That's, right. That's fine, too. I have, I have a couple of questions for you, but I wanted to make okay. sure that you got to all of your tips that you wanted to share. I've got them. I hope they help. 
No, they do. They help tremendously, especially what they need to have when they come to you. Chronological timeline, cast of characters, (laughs) which I think is hysterical. Have your four W's ready, who, what, when, where. Absolutely. That will make any lawyer you talk to will be overjoyed to see that information in that organized of a fashion. That organized. Yep. It makes it so much easier for us to kind of figure out what what claims exist and what your options are. Yes, yes. So I ask the listeners to, to pay attention to those areas that we just discussed. So if you need to talk to Karen or somebody like Karen in another state, you will be ready. You will be ready. Um, I want to go back to something that you said about documentation. Because mm-hmm. we know documentation is very important. And I think you should start it as soon as you feel like something's off. Don't wait. Like you said, at least print it out. You might not need to use it, but have it. Just have it. Um, right. What about recording? What about recording? And I know that the laws are different in different states, but I know people who have gone into situations knowingly that they were going to have words with somebody and would bring their cell phone and record it. Legal, not legal, good, bad, does it help or not help? So legal or not legal depends on the state that you're in and the state where the other person is. Um, So like, for example, in Texas, Texas is a one-party consent state. One party to a recorded conversation can consent to it, and the person doing the, the recording can be the one consenting. But if you are talking to someone in Maryland over the phone, and Maryland is a two-party consent state, and you're recording it, then that's not legal under Maryland law. So it really depends on where both parties are. And honestly, Holly, it's one of those really tricky things. Sometimes it's counterproductive. Mm -hmm. I have found that a lot of recordings don't have what my clients tell me they have. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I recorded this conversation. It's got this great stuff. And then I listen to it. I'm like, okay, no, I don't hear that at all. Um, it's not, it doesn't have what you think. There are other times it's the most critical evidence in the case. Um, and without the recording, we wouldn't be able to prove, yeah, this person did make this discriminatory comment. They did use this racial slur. Um, so it's a really tough call. A lot of, some companies have a policy against surreptitious recording and they can fire you just for doing that. Okay. So you've got to know what your company's policies are. Um, because you may be giving them another legitimate reason to fire you um, if you do that. So it's really tricky. Okay. Just asking for a friend. <laughs> I to know about that one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you for answering that. I appreciate it because I know a lot of people are now recording. You know, they, they might just use the Zoom recording as evidence of a Abs- meeting. I mean, absolutely. It could be, I mean, we got to watch out. We're, we're being recorded everywhere now. So who right. knows? Who knows? Right. Yeah. But it's very tricky. And like I said, often the recording doesn't help you. Um, but then, like I said, in other cases, it's the most critical piece of evidence supporting the claim. Okay. Okay. Thank you for explaining that. Um, last area of this conversation I would like for us to talk about is retaliation. Because uh, I know a lot, like you, like you said earlier, a lot of women are afraid to file a complaint because of fear of retaliation. Now, I'm going to take that a step further. Let's say that they have filed the EEOC 
they're experiencing what they consider to be isolation. Like the whole company knows that you have filed and nobody talks to you anymore. They want nothing to do with you. You are a poison to them, regardless of whatever the situation was. And you're isolated. And it feels like a form of retaliation because it may hinder you from doing your job. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So I'm going to ask forgiveness in advance because I'm going to have to throw out a few legal buzzwords. Okay. But, but to have, what happens with retaliation is you are arguing, hey, I engaged in protected conduct under the law. I reported some kind of discrimination. And now I'm suffering. And the legal buzzwords are an adverse employment action. In the old days, that had to be what the law called the ultimate adverse employment action. You got fired. You didn't get hired. Your pay got cut. Um, About 15 years ago, the Supreme Court kind of changed the law on retaliation. And they realized, hey, bad things can happen to you that are short of being fired. That can be retaliation because they would discourage other people from reporting, um, you know, discrimination or wrongdoing. And so the court recognizes that things short of getting fired can be retaliatory, but it's a very case-by-case basis. And the things with people being iced out, I would always argue that that is retaliation. I may not win in court, but what you've got to focus on to get the company's attention to say, hey, you know, this icing me out, this freezing me out, this isolating me Mm -hmm. is retaliation Mm -hmm. because it's making it hard for me to do my job. And it's making it impossible for me to perform. And then I'm going to get a bad performance review. I'm not going to get a raise. I'm going to get fired. And it's all because I'm being isolated. And so anything like that, I encourage people to go back and complain more. And again, I know people hate it, right? It's like you hate to be that kid who's always the problem. But it gets you more protection because it's like company, I'm shining the spotlight on this and I'm not going away. And the more you do, the more I'm coming back to you and shining the spotlight on it. You're going to have to deal with me one way or the other. You know, here, the EEOC or in court, take a look at this. And so if somebody sees that, I would absolutely argue it's retaliatory. Know that the legal issues, it depends on what court you're in and where. Um, But it shouldn't be happening. It is retaliation. Um, And hopefully the company would take it seriously and do something about it. Thank you for giving me clarity on that because there are four women specifically that I have coached and they all filed the EEOC and they all got iced out mm-hmm. and they felt like they were caving in on themselves and because they didn't know what to do. They thought it was retaliation, but they weren't quite sure. So I appreciate you bringing that to the, to the forefront. So people do know that is it. And that there is a term for it. What you say the term was adverse Employment. Yeah. Adverse employment action. Perfect. Adverse employment action. So listeners know that adverse employment action. So, um, Karen, thank you so much. I feel like we could do like (laughs) 2.0 this conversation. And I have a feeling we will get to that because I know that people, when they hear this, they're going to have a lot of questions. They're going to, they're going to want to talk to you. So if someone does want to talk to you, Karen, how can they get in touch with you? Sure. And they can find me easily. My law firm is Fitzgerald Law. Website is www.fitzgerald.law. It ends in .law, not .com. Um, And that's how they find me. And I 
I could talk about this all day. Like I said, I love what I do. I love being able to help people through a tough time in employment and hopefully turn it around so we get a positive outcome for them. Well, I appreciate you and everything that you do. And I wish I knew you 15 years ago, Karen. (laughs) (laughs) If I knew you when. Well, yeah, so, but yeah, but at least you know me now. I know you we know. Can try, we can help yep. people now. Yep, yep, and that's the goal. So thank you, thank you so much for being with us today, and I plan on having you back soon. Thanks so much, Holly. I've really enjoyed doing this. If you feel that you are experiencing discrimination or harassment in the workplace, like Karen said today, you're not imagining things, so don't ignore those feelings. As I mentioned in the opening of this episode. I didn't know what to do about my situation, yet thanks to Karen's words today, now I know, and you do too. Here are my two parting tips for you today. First one is document, 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 document. This is the way you start keeping track of those microaggressions I spoke of earlier. When you document, do it as soon after the event as you can. Be sure to write down in detail what happened date it and email it to yourself from your personal email address to your personal email address. Or as Karen says, print it up and keep a file. The more information you have, the better. Secondly, find a support system. I did not until it was too late. I did not seek out someone to help give me clarity and help me unravel what had just transpired. Talk to your mentor, best friend, and speak to an attorney. Those are my parting words today. This is Holly Kaplan. Cheers until the next episode of Talking Confidence. Thank you, Talking Confidence listeners, for joining me today for this episode. If you would like to connect with me personally for confidence coaching or speaking events, you can reach me at hollykaplan.com. If you would like to buy my book, Surviving the Dick Click, A Girl's Guide to Surviving the Male-Dominated Corporate World, you can find your copy at amazon.com. Thanks.